What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, I am talking to you from high above beautiful downtown Nashville. Yes, SEC Media Days underway. Um, I don't want to say they started off with a whimper. That's that's a weak take. Weak take. Get that out of here. This is not what we come to podcast about on a Monday night when <clears throat> the entire conference is here. That's not what I'm going to say. That's not what I'm going to say. What mm-hmm. I will say is I don't think Brian Kelly came off the worst of the three coaches in in Nashville today. That's that's a win for you as an LSU fan. Yeah, I mean, oh, let me ask you this question. Brian Kelly is, from a PR standpoint, has moved to LSU. It was like he couldn't say the right thing. And everything, you know, was a little bit off for the first like five or six press conferences, starting with the first one, ending with the loss, or he did the whole thing with the LSU reporter and they had like the fine jar. Do you think he has found his stride as an SEC coach? Like what what type of vibe do you think? Or do you think he will be prone to some of those gaps? Because he had a good amount of them at Notre Dame over the years. Yeah. And you know what? And we're going to get to everything that was somewhat interesting from SEC Media Days in Nashville, at least day one. That's all we're, mm-hmm. we're recapping today. But um, yeah, I, I think Kelly came off like a lot more confident and sure of himself, which even when you're a coach who has won as many games as Brian Kelly has and you are on a hundred million dollar contract and you're at one of the premier programs in college football, I think sometimes when you're you know you're kind of in a different spot than usual. You come off as that and people can tell and you come off as thirsty. And I thought there are a lot of moments, which BK would probably admit that he came off thirsty. Um, this year he's joking about, he's like, I think my accent's good. Like I still change up my accent from time to time. I'm in like St. Charles. It's a little bit different here. Northern Louisiana, a little bit different there. Um, but in terms of like a guy who you can tell why people rally around. Yeah. Brian Kelly, Definitely checks that box. And when you hear him talk about how the Tennessee game last year was the rallying point, that's when he really had to kind of win people over. It's like they could have very easily been seven and five, just as I had predicted last year. And I don't think anybody would have thought twice about it. But instead, Brian Kelly comes here to SEC Media Days as the coach of maybe the favorite in the West, LSU. TBD on that. that. Um, It's official now. Come on. People were people were feeling very good about LSU today, um, and I think LSU came across very well. Would have loved to have seen Harold Perkins understand he's only a sophomore and that he's 19. I just spent my entire day with LSU talking about Harold Perkins, um, mm-hmm. and I don't feel bad about it because he's that good. So, but yeah, credit Jaden Daniels for not taking the bait, getting a question from my guy Ty Richardson of Do you think you're the best quarterback in the SEC? Deferred. Smart move. Jaden Daniels, really tall. Really tall, Will. Like, sometimes you see these guys in person and you're like, oh, you're you're just not what you're listed as. I I always tell the Wandale story all the time. Like, when Juan, I see you in the in the Kentucky bio, or I can't remember where it was. It might have even been in the Nebraska bio too. I think they had Wandale listed as 5'11. And then I meet him and I'm like, buddy, we're the same height. And I'm five, eight and a half. <laughs> and then he measures out at, at the combine, like something like that. There are certain people that are like that. And then there mm-hmm. are certain people like Jaden Daniels who like tall and slender as humanly possible. Hen and Hooker was here doing some Bush's baked bean stuff as well. Hen and Hooker confirmed tall as well. How's Good he doing? I, I think well. Didn't really like get to have any sort of real conversation with him today. 
Talk to a lot of people today. Talk to a lot of people today. Nice long conversation with our friend Paul Feinbaum today. Good to see him. Um, if you are watching SEC Network on Tuesday, 3.15 Central Time, just saying. <laughs> um, I'll try not make any stupid predictions this year, like saying Tennessee is going to be Georgia and Athens. But who knows? You know, it's SEC Media Days. It's wild. But great vibes all around here so far. Um, I think that while I did want to talk about Kelly, AM fans, this might not be the pod for you. I'm going to say that, and I'm going to, I'm going to do the, the old, what's, what's the business trick. You're a little bit more in the corporate world than I am. When you, when you sandwich a compliment or something, you tell something, somebody, you tell somebody something really good. Mm-hmm. There's crap in the middle. And then you end with something good. Can we do that. Yeah, that's let's, the, let's the compliment that. sandwich. That's the Stewie Griffin yeah. you almost did there. It's yeah. Let's do a compliment sandwich for AM. So let's let's start here. I will say this. I liked that all the AM players were wearing sunglasses and they said that it was swag that Jimbo was instilling in them. And okay. McKinley Jackson, who McKinley Jackson, I'll bang the drum team member. I will always bang the drum for him, whatever he does. When he's rocking Gucci shades, I'm going to bang the drum for him. I think he was rocking Gucci shades. I don't know sunglass brands very well. All wearing sunglasses indoors. If I were being mean, I would say that's a bold move for a team that went five and seven. But I'm not being mean today. This is compliment sandwich. <laughs> this is compliment sandwich, Will. Okay. So we're going to say AM needs a little bit of confidence. You need yeah. to have a little bit of swagger. You need to dial into that. But here's the bad. Here's the bad. If you consumed coverage of SEC Media Days on Monday, you might have noticed something. Or if you were there in attendance, you you probably noticed this very distinct thing. Jimbo Fisher and Eli Drinkwitz spoke right after each other, right after one another, which is actually kind of weird because there's usually supposed to be players in the middle of that. AM players were after drink speaking, which was strange. I don't know why that happened, whatever, not the point. What do they have in common? Both of them gave up play calling duties, or at least they hired an offensive coordinator. Jimbo Fisher will still not come out and say, Bobby Petrino's calling plays. I gave up play calling duties. The offense wasn't good enough the last two years, and I gave up play calling duties to Bobby Petrino. Eli Drinkwitz, I'm giving up play calling duties. Looked in the mirror, realized that, hey, to borrow a line from T-Swift, hi, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. I probably just messed that up. Don't care. He's like, I hired an offensive coordinator. You, Kirby Moore will be calling plays. I will not be doing that. I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to take a CEO approach. I'm going to try and oversee the defense and special teams as well and, and say, you know what? This wasn't working. We had to do something else. Jimbo Fisher won't do that, Will, and it's driving me nuts. I can't take it anymore. I can't take it. So if you were to ask him what Bobby Petrino's job is, how, how would he have answered that? Well, he was asked this like several times. And the maddening thing is that he is saying like, you know, like I have all the respect in the world for Bobby Petrino, extremely talented, great offensive mind. Like I want to bring in people who have different opinions in here and I, I want to bring them in, but he still just won't come out and say Bobby Petrino has full autonomy of play calling duties. And for all the AM fans who are saying like, oh, you know what? Like you're trying to play it close to the vest, whatever. Lane Kiffin does not have primary play calling duties. Josh Heupel does not have primary play calling duties. Everything is working out just fine for those two guys. Jimbo Fisher, on the other hand, mm, 
mm, it's like his baby and he just won't give it up. And it's so maddening. Will. it's so bad. And when you hear it back to back with drink and Jimbo, you just think to yourself, well, well, that's, that's how you're supposed to do it. That's what you're supposed to say. And it's not some indictment on you as a human being. It's an indictment on you as a head coach and you as an offensive mind in this sport, but you're not bringing in Bobby Petrino to hold a clipboard. You're just not. So just tell us that he's calling the plays. Just tell us. Oh, yeah, that you make a great point, which is that like you don't bring in Bobby Petrino on accident. Like you have to really think about bringing in Bobby Petrino. You gotta get, you gotta build some allies that are like, hey, we all need Bobby Petrino here. You can't just be like, hey, Bobby Petrino, get over here. Leave, you know, whatever, whatever job you're doing right now, and enjoy. Like he's not some hot young assistant. He's not some like win the press conference guy. He's a guy that you gotta stand on, and and he's a guy that if it doesn't work out, this very unlikely path to Jimbo Fisher. You know, eventually being, I guess, I don't know if if they could even fire him, but would he be bought out? Don't say that. Don't say that. Like, no, I know, but no. it's, it's unlikely. I'm trying to think about, like I said, you can't fire him. It's like when they got Ted Turner out of Turner Industries. It's like you got to give him some type of a severance. It's a whole, he, he gets three ranches if you get rid of him. But I'm saying that like, that's like the only thing he could have done that would get him slightly on the hot seat is bringing a guy like Bobby Petrino and have it not work. So acting like he just hired, you know, um, like whatever the hot young guy is to be his OC is very funny. And just like, yeah, we'll all figure it out. It'll be fine. It's going to be cool. Everybody loves this guy. It's like, do, do they? <laughs> yeah. Um, it is. It's like this. So this was, can I, can I just read you part of this? And I, I we won't spend too much time on this because we've already beaten a dead horse with this, but can I just read you this? this yeah, quote from Jim There's a lot of things that are involved in what goes on. I'm not going to get into what we're doing, how we're doing it. Fisher said, I'm not trying to avoid anything. I just don't want to create the narrative out there for, for what goes on. Listen, Bobby was hired for a reason, and he's a tremendous coach and a tremendous guy, a tremendous football mind, a tremendous recruiter. We get it. He's tremendous. He's done a great job recruiting since he's been here, everything he does. He also said, hopefully he'll call the game. We'll have suggestions on things we do, whether it's offense, defense. Every coach is always involved. It's more collective. It's more of a collective thing than people want to give it room for. And then when you get calling you get on a roll you get guys that can do it and i believe that bobby can definitely do it uh does it as well as anybody in college football have great respect for him as he's saying these words will Uh uh-huh i'm just thinking to myself who made you this way (laughs) and why why do you have to why do you have to be that coy when let's be honest your offense blew chunks you are not hiding the secrets to the Pentagon. And if you tell us, hey, it's a joint effort. I'm actually going to do it. I'm going to start off the season, let him get his feet wet or vice versa. Even if Jimbo would actually just come out and say what we all think is possible. That is, Bobby Petrino is going to get a trial run at offensive coordinator. And if he sucks the first three weeks, guess who's taking over? The $76 million buyout guy. If he would come out and say that he never will, I would stand up and applaud. I'd say, you know what, Jimbo? I disagree with that, but I respect the right to make that decision. I really do. But mm-hmm. instead, he says, no, I will be, I, I will not give you guys what you want, and I will not say it. And look, AM players know. AM players know. So here's here's the 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 good. Do, or do you have any more bad that you want to get out on our crap sandwich? Sure. I just want to, there is a new bad here, which is that I've never considered how Bobby Petrino is as a recruiter. 
I just uh, for the well-established pros and cons of Bobby Petrito. Uh, I've Jimbo never was thought. Well, Jimbo was rolling, and when he <laughs> says like five things in succession yeah. like that, he's just gonna get on a roll. I'm not saying look. I, I don't want AM fans to be like, Bobby Petrino recruited this guy and this guy and this guy. This is actually like the first time in his career that he's working with like multiple five stars on his offense, I think. I think right. that's the case. Um, so I don't want I don't want that to that to come back. But like no, he was no, just I saying, do. I remember all when they had things. Lamar Jackson and nobody else in those Louisville teams. I remember three watching star. Lamar Jackson, who was a three star that he developed, be awesome, and then LSU just suffocated them because their O and D line play were terrible. So, like, I'm just laughing. I mean, again, maybe it's just a minute thing and we're just beating up on Bobby Petrino. But the thought of, like, the pros and cons list of Bobby Petrino of, like, oh, well, like, yeah, he's really relating to the modern athlete. It's like, what does he have in common with the modern athlete? He can't even do, like, the folksy, like, you know, you got to honor your commitments that, like, a Nick Saban could because that doesn't work for him. <laughs> okay, so I'll say this. And this is how we're going to end this crap sandwich on AM. Yes. The positive. Okay. I, I liked – I thought the best comment of the day, the most insightful comment, at least related to that, was what Anaya Smith said about the dynamic of Bobby Petrino and Jimbo Fisher. Mm -hmm. And the way that he made it come, this come across, and I transcribed the entire quote, SaturdayDownSouth.com, five things I found interesting from day one of SEC Media Days. What I found interesting of like what he said was kind of what many people have said about Jimbo Fisher in the past. He will fixate on that one thing in practice, that one thing, and he'll just beat a dead horse. And because he's got so much going on and he's got play calling duties, he's got this, he's got that. He's not really a teacher in that way. And he is with quarterbacks. I get it to a certain extent, but I got the sense and I've always kind of gotten this sense that skill, skill position players kind of feel like, dang, man, this, all this guy does is just ride me. Like, it's brutal. And I understand that there are position coaches for that. But what Anaya Smith said is actually great is that when somebody messes up in practice, Bobby Petrino is like the guy that's taking people to the side and telling them what happened and what they did wrong and like how to avoid that mistake. Whereas Jimbo's not doing that in the heat of the moment. Heat of the moment, he's going to go after you. That right. is his personality. That is his old-fashioned style. And go figure that it's actually Bobby Petrino, the one who is going to step up and say, there, there, young fella. Here's, here's why we catch with our hands and not our chest. <laughs> <laughs> and he's the one that's saying these things. And I thought that was very interesting. And it gave me this little glimpse. And this is the perfect way to end this crap sandwich. It gave me this little glimpse into this possible dichotomy that could work between these two guys, even if for only a brief period of time in existence in which the stars align and Bobby Petrino and Jimbo Fisher can share an offense together. And it's a happy, beautiful marriage. I saw that. I saw that when I heard Anaya Smith say that, but yeah, it was rough. <laughs> it was rough. <laughs> I just want to say, I mean, I have probably been higher on this hire than a lot of people. Like, when we talked about the spring game. He was number game, one in the coordinator draft. Well, like, he was number one. We think he's good at his job. Like, we're not here to dump on AM and say he's not going to do a good job. And at the end of the day, like, this might be the thing that gets clipped at the end of the season where it's like, you guys are making jokes about Bobby Petrino. They could go undefeated, and I will still be making jokes about Bobby Petrino because he is very talented and very smart, but that's not why we make jokes about Bobby Petrino. So that's my only True. point is, like, don't think that our jokes mean that we don't respect is a tough word we don't think he's talented you know it's just the fact of like you know he's just had this long resume and like i said to approach it as anything but that 
I think is a PR mistake maybe, but also when you're Jimbo Fisher and you kind of live in your own little world, like we've talked about with so many college coaches, you don't really have to be held to task for anything. You don't have to be pragmatic about anything. You can just kind of give your canned answers and move on because it's up to you. It, it really does not matter what the media or anyone thinks. Even if we think that he's good and others think that he's bad, it doesn't affect Jimbo Fisher because if that affected him, his whole life would be different. <laughs> I don't know what the Guinness Book of World Records is for interrupting somebody during the middle of a question, but Jimbo Fisher holds it. He does. Jimbo Fisher, Tom Crean, 1A. I mean, like, <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. That That's the part that just kind of frustrates me with him. But yeah, seeing everybody here talk about A&M and how, like what we've been saying, they should be vastly improved. There are so many different things that you can be sold on. And what I continue to come back to is if the schematic changes are there, and we think this is going to be an offense that has more versatility. Oh, yeah, that was another thing Jimbo wouldn't answer. He's like, is this offense going to have four wide sets like Bobby Petrino would run? Or is it going to be a little bit more pro style with quarterback going under center like you would run? And he's like, well, Bobby Petrino does like a lot of underneath stuff. And it's like, all right, Jimbo. Okay. Like, we get it. We we get it, man. You just say, you just say hey, we're going to do everything, man. We're, we're just going to do it all. Um, multiple. Like Coach O used to say, we've got to be multiple. Multiple. Who, if a coach doesn't say multiple, that's what makes me worried. Right. If, if you're not saying multiple, you did not go to that day of coaching school 101. You that was, did, you know, you missed it. That was the one PR accolade I'll give him. It's like, why did you hire these two very clearly terrible coordinators? Well, you know, we just got to be multiple. It's like, it gets the people going. You know, it's like, it no one knows what it means. You got to just say that as opposed to just giving that type of a non answer. Cause then it's like, look, buddy, we have a little bit of both. You don't know what we're going to throw out at you. This is true. Um, okay. Interesting nuggets from teams that do not have large fan bases that, Everybody will probably forget about unless I remind them about it at some point. Clark Lee, new friend of the program. Nice extension. Nice extension. Pete Thamel reported that this extension is going to run through 2029. Going to run through the rest of the decade. Will, when I saw that tweet, I was like, the rest of the decade? That's that's a million years <laughs> from now. What are, what that For a guy coming off of a couple of SEC wins in year two. Okay. All right. And then talking to some people about it and it's like yeah you kind of just like have to do that the timing yeah. gets a little bit weird but vandy is hosting sec media days so you got to capitalize on that um but understand i i actually like kind of understood it i was just stunned when i realized oh the rest of the decade he got a three-year extension and it's really not that much and because it's vandy the buyout is probably not really significant we don't know the buyout because it's a private institution but um that was a pretty much the way that the day started also with the news that SEC Media Days is going to Dallas next year. Nobody at home cares about that, but why that's significant is because if that was part of the whole, like, hey, Texas, we're going to kind of do right by you. I'm going to throw you a little bone here. I wouldn't be surprised. AM's in the conference for 10 years, and all of a sudden, boom, just like that. Texas gets SEC media days in Texas. They clearly want to have a presence in the state of Texas. They want Texas to be an SEC state, despite the fact that there are now, I believe, four FBS conferences who host their media days in Dallas, which is kind of huh. weird. Yeah. Interesting. Conference USA, AAC, and Big 12. Chris Vanini pointed that out. I'm not sure the Big 12 is going to continue with that or whatever. They're trying to do this whole rebranding thing with Texas and Oklahoma gone, which they'll be in Orlando. And then yeah, you can just walk hey, to that one. I'm here for that. If they're in Orlando, I will also be in Orlando. Maybe not there, but I will definitely be there in spirit. 
Um, those I were hate the, to say this and like put you on the record because uh, Vendy's tomorrow, right? Clark Lee's tomorrow. Uh, by the time people are listening to this today, so Tuesday. Okay. Well, okay. Never mind. I'm I'm subreading your thought. I was just gonna say I would love to see what he will. What the first thing Clark Lee would buy with an extension. I'm so fascinated. I think he's a cool guy, and I think he doesn't give us a ton of personality. I want to see him with like a blank check and how he spends it. I don't know if he's a car guy. I don't know if he's like what his what his thing is, but I'm interested by it. You know, he's an interesting guy. I think he's a land guy. I think he's a land guy. You know, it was mm-hmm. kind of cool. So not cool in the moment, but like one of those kind of cool things in hindsight. Um, so today, this morning, I flew in Monday morning and my flight, we're getting ready to land and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'll probably be at the gate in 10 minutes. As we're getting ready to land, I don't know how high off the ground we were, maybe like 50 feet max from touching down, landing on the runway. All of a sudden we take off and I'm like, what, 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 what? That, that's not how this goes. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. racing for impact. And instead, like, I don't know, they let us just sit on this information for a full minute. I'm sure they were communicating to the ground crews or whatever. If we had landed, we would have run over these two birds and the birds would have possibly gotten into the engine of the plane. When they describe mm. it that way, I'm like, oh, okay, that makes a little bit of sense. You know, yeah. So instead, what we did is we basically did an entire free helicopter tour of the city of Nashville Love in like that. one yeah. big circle. It took like 15 minutes to be able to like turn like the entire plane around. But what the cool thing was, was you drew, you like flew over all of these massive houses. If you've ever seen like Jay Cutler's house in Nashville, I don't know if he still owns it, probably Christian Cavallari's house. I don't know how that worked <laughs> in the split. Didn't get into that file, but you see like all of these just huge houses. And I'm like thinking to myself, I wonder what country music artist lives there. I wonder which one lives there. Is that Dirk Bentley's Dirk, Dirk Bentley's house? Maybe it's Clay Travis. Uh, I don't know that Clay Travis lived in that large. Uh, maybe I don't know. I don't know his house. I don't know his living situation. But then I thought to myself, no one could afford a nice house like that now. It's Clark Lee. That's so, facts. I I'm just saying Nashville is lovely. I was stunned. Stunned's not the right word. I was blown away that still even monday night six o'clock broadway is still just bumping Mm -hmm. i i think nashville has a right to take the title of city that never sleeps from new york just i look is new york bumping like that on a monday night i mean they might have like a lot of people like walking around blasting music like that no way no way Uh uh-uh i don't believe that Probably they do, and I'm just way off because I haven't been to New York in over 10 years. It's well, okay. So, like, New York feels a lot more like, uh, I hate to say organic, but Nashville is purely like that part of it is like a party city. Like, there's probably a part of New York that's like that, but like, if you talk about that part of Nashville, it's just purely like you hear music constantly. It's like that type of vibe. So, like, yeah, people are probably like working and doing normal stuff at that hour in New York, like a lot more often. But in terms of just a vibe, like if you get off of a night shift and it's 4 a.m. and you want to just get a drink, it's probably super easy in Nashville. Yeah, probably is. But yeah, fun little place. Um, Hopefully they're going to have more events here as well. Oh yeah, one other thing. Again, a note that nobody will care about until maybe they're watching an SEC game and they say to themselves, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know about that. I didn't care about that, but I cared about it. Luther Burden now playing in the slot. So that's a thing. Mizzou also has a quarterback battle, according to Eli Drinkowitz. Brady Cook, not 
given the opportunity to cook just yet. He was coming off injury. I know that. But I think Mizzou fans want more than anything for Sam Horn to just have a pulse and be the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jake Garcia, the transfer that I got from Miami. But yeah, the uh, the things that probably not a ton of people truly care about, Mizzou fans, I know you care about this, but outside of that, probably not a whole lot. This was the calm before the storm today. That's what this was. You need that on day one. They book get, that's why they, they set up the schedule the way that they do. Monday and Thursday are going to be your slower days. You got people that are coming in in and out of town on those days. Tuesday and Wednesday is the meat of this. That's 100 percent truth. Kirby Smart in for I think an interesting day on Tuesday. By the time <laughs> people are listening to this, they'll probably already know. Probably have already heard from the Georgia head coach. You probably already can guess which media members are going to ask about the AJC story. Oh, that was another thing from today. Your boy went 0 for 3 in asking questions at coach press conferences. Okay. 0 for 3. Did not get the mic once. Not once, William. This is Wow. I it was it was rough. By the end I'm like I can't even get a question in for drink. What are we doing? But like I, you, the way that it usually works, you try and signal over to the to the to the microphone people. They have a title and I just totally disrespected them by calling them microphone people. I apologize for that. Hey, they didn't do their job today. Cause I mean, look, if you're a, a dialed in local Mizzou guy, you get enough time to talk to Drake. Let's get the national guys some, you know, I'm not going to call out specific media members, but there were specific media members that probably should not have been asking questions that were getting the mic. And I hope that the microphone people, as they'll be known until they give me the microphone and they earn my respect. I hope that they can find your boy. And your boy can fire off some good questions. Mm-hmm. I want to ask Kelly about some Perkins stuff. I was talking about Harold Perkins all day. I just wanted to get Kelly's take on that. Brian Kelly got as many questions asked about artificial intelligence in college football as he did Harold Perkins, the best defensive player in college football. What are we <laughs> doing here? What are we doing? He got one question on him. That was it. It's like, come on. The guy was up there for a half hour. I'm not going to ask about this 19-year-old who's considered like like on a on a different stratosphere right now like come on bother so connor do you think you know we've talked about weddings and, and speeches and stuff in the past do you think that they kind of it's like you know how how that cadence goes right it's like you want to start off with the people that are maybe the riskiest so that you don't get them too late in the night you know you don't want to get them too warmed up if you feel me maybe they just got brian kelly out there first and they were like, if you do anything weird, if you pronounce any words weird, if you try to say Gotro, we're just going to sweep you under the rug. You know, do you think that was the strategy? <laughs> I think they always do LSU on Monday, if I'm not I, mistaken. I feel like actually LSU has been, and every year I find some made up excuse for it. But yeah, that actually does sound right. Which actually would make sense with who they have as their head coaches. If you're like, all right, yeah. Coach O. They've had some weirdo. Yeah, actually, all of those Plus head Miles. coaches are that exact yeah. uncle that you don't want giving the last toast to your wedding. Yeah, so <laughs> for this, very this probably... different reasons, actually. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't think Brian Kelly's coming in on a Thursday. I yeah, just, I, I, not to hate on coaches who are coming in on Thursday. Got some, hopefully, some fun stuff planned. Um, maybe not, maybe not on the podcast side, but something that I that I'll be doing on Thursday. I want to make sure everything goes through, and then I'll be able to talk a little bit more about it. But um, should be something f- kind of fun in the works. Uh, also coming up this week, hopefully this doesn't fall through. I'll be really upset if this falls through. If this falls through, you guys are going to have a chance to hate on this person even more than you probably already do. Uh, first time guest Gary Danielson is going to be coming up later in the week. So stay tuned for that. been trying to think of interesting questions all weekend. 
looking forward to that. That'll be uh, that'll be the pod that comes out uh, that we'll record Wednesday. So yeah, have a have a nice little sit down with with Gary, and I'm sure everybody will love Gary Danielson by the end of it. It'll be a fun conversation. I've actually never talked to him before, which is weird. Like like talk to him ever ever. Really? He's kind of he's kind of stealthy in that way. Yeah, he's, yeah. I think I like maybe said hey to him in a bathroom at the. LSU Florida game five years ago. Like that's okay. it. I, it's weird though. Like it's, and I'll tell a little bit of the backstory, like after, you know, maybe to, to set up the interview, but um, yeah, for whatever reason, I feel like in walking around SEC media days, I feel like everybody's path at one point I've, I've crossed. And even just now they had a media event at Bridgestone arena, which is really cool. They have like, you know, full spread and everything for, for media and, and all that stuff. And, and Sankey's just there like walking around, like eating stuff all the time. He's like walking past our table, like three or four times to get fried Mac and cheese and whatnot. But, um, yeah, Gary's like just never there. He's just never there. So it'll, I'm like legitimately looking forward to this. And even as somebody who has been critical of him and I think awesome, hopefully have some critical questions and hopefully it'll be something that people find interesting. That's one of those guys that, you know, I mean, yeah, whatever the opinion is, you know, he is kind of the voice of SEC football. So it's going to be pretty cool to hear him and you know, his voice on this podcast. I'm sure it's going to be like a surreal moment. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's one of those things that it's like, uh, you know, it's like we all grew up listening to this guy. And so it's it's, it's just uh, it's, a, it's a it's cool to have him on. I don't know. Yeah. Um, as for today's interview, which I forgot to even talk about at the top of the pod, I know you're thinking <laughs> to yourself, SEC Media Days. Surely we're just going to dig into interviews from SEC Media Days. No, actually going to talk with Jake Butt, who, of course, uh, yes, Jake Butt, big fixture in the SEC. No, former Michigan All-American uh, tight end who uh, has a very, very bright future in media and is somebody who's kind of taken off right now. Uh, but great conversation with him. Talked a little bit about kind of the 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 perception of the SEC that he had at various points um, in his career, including now as an analyst, some I thought um, pretty strong takes about Brock Bowers and his future in the NFL, how he projects and a lot of different things. Just talk to Harbaugh and whatnot. Jake is just a really good dude. Somebody that I've wanted to have on for a while. So let's go to that conversation right now with Jake, Butt. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is former Michigan All-American. I shouldn't say former Michigan All-American. That just sounds bad. I'll just say Michigan All-American uh, current big 10 network analyst, Jake, Butt. Uh, Jake, I texted you to come on the show a couple weeks ago and you were in South Africa at the time. So I was like, you know, no worries. We'll uh, we'll circle back when you get back to the States. And then I circled back with you by saying like, hope you got back okay. And then I went to your Twitter and I saw that you went through some stuff. Just go off about airlines. <laughs> it was, it was, it was something, man. And here, here's, here's the worst thing. So I was working for Fox for the USFL in the spring and I remember looking at my fiance. I'd called my last game of the season. I was like, man, it has been smooth sailing traveling. And as soon as those words left my mouth, I'm like, wow, I'm done for now. Right. So then I had a wedding in Minnesota and we had to fly from Minnesota to Chicago and Chicago to Newark. And then we we're going to fly from Newark to South Africa. The wedding ending on the wedding ending ended on Sunday. We had eight flights canceled before we could get to Newark. We had to connect through Columbus, thought about driving there. So that was just to get to South Africa. And then on the way out, we were sitting on the plane. We're like 15-hour flight direct to Newark. We're like, thank God this is behind us. Pilot comes on, got a deboard, deplane. They delayed us for four hours. They finally canceled it. So we had to fly to Washington, D.C. and then buy a separate flight to get to Newark. So 
United, I love you, man. I, I, I do love you. You guys have treated me well. But that this past week or two has been brutal. That's the worst when you're on the plane and they let you know. You like you think you're ready to go and you're like, all right, we, we've got past the worst of this. We're boarded. And then they just tell you, no, you're not going anywhere. That is that's that's horrible. Um, I hate that you went through that. Glad that you're here. I buried the lead though. South Africa, fun town. Unreal. Like I've been I've been lucky enough to travel to a lot of cities in Europe, a lot of places across the globe. But I would say anyone, if you can stomach the flight and we booked it all in credit card points, which was which was awesome. So um, I hadn't spent a single credit card point in my life. So it was my fiance and I. If you can go, it'll be the most memorable trip of your life to sit there. And I mean, we were staring 10 feet from a lioness, a, a bull elephant, big male dominant elephant almost could reach out and touch me with this trunk hippos rhinos so you can see those animals at a zoo giraffes but to see them in their natural habitat was wild the people were awesome the food was awesome the culture was awesome it was just all around an unbelievable trip i i got a lot that i want to get to with you but uh did you kind of get that travel itch when harbaugh came and like started taking michigan around the world so that's that, that that's a that's a good point because he started my senior year. So I remember I hadn't been on a single spring break through all my four years at Michigan. And me and my buddies were like, man, we're seniors. Like, let's go. Let's book one. So we were getting ready to book a all-inclusive trip to uh, Cabo. Got the approval, had the money in place. I was pushing. I'm like, hey, let's book it tonight. Let's book it tonight. My buddy Ben Gideon's like, let's just sleep on it. We'll book it tomorrow. Well, sure enough, tomorrow morning as we're sitting at breakfast, we get that team-wide text from Coach Harbaugh, do not book a trip. There will be team activities on spring break. So you're probably referring to they went to South Africa as a team. They went to Rome as a team. They've done cool stuff. My senior year was the first year, and we went to IMG Academy in Florida. So wasn't exactly a life-changing trip. We still had a good time, though, but would have been nice to get an international trip paid for by the University of Michigan for sure. Okay, so you don't know this, but I actually then spent spring break with you that year because I was also at IMG. I made the drive okay. down there for that. And, and I remember it was like a who's who of like, oh man, you know, there's Dickie V over there. Like Harbaugh, those first two years, just always bringing in celebrities. I mean, the the signing of the stars thing with Jeter and Brady, like it's pretty wild to look back on what he did to make Michigan cool, which was essentially what he was trying to do. Obviously, you want to win football games, but he had to restore that brand because it had taken yeah. a hit. It had taken a beating. Did you have a cool encounter with one of those celebs that that Harbaugh, like when he brings in like Big Sean or something like that? Did you have one of those cool encounters that really stood out? Yeah, I mean, so I was I was voted captain my senior year. So um, we did the honorary captains and we had some good ones, man. We had Rich Eisen, um, big, big fan of Rich, does a great job. But then how about this? We had Hank Aaron legend right oh, that that was really really cool i think he did the coin toss and then of course we got sponsored by the jordan brand uh my senior year so michael jordan was our captain so um stuff like that stuck out but what you just said touches on i, I think an interesting thing it doesn't maybe get talked about enough but think about why we're even here right now the way we consume content is changing and I can look back at that, and that was kind of the forefront. Like social media has exploded, but 2015, 2016, Harbaugh's first two years that I was a part of were kind of the beginning of this exponential growth and branding matters. Like Michigan has a huge brand as it is, but as you mentioned, it had been damaged a little bit. 
And Harbaugh does a great job. It gets the ball rolling again. But he captured that momentum by doing the certain things you did. And the chatter across the nation was the respect had been restored at least to a, a certain extent. And then we were able to win double-digit games the first two years to say, hey, th- this respect is at least deserved. And now what he's done in these most pa- recent years with Michigan is get over that hump, beat Ohio State, become back-to-back Big Ten champions. So it kind of starts with ladders, but I think that's one of the best things that Coach Harbaugh does is he plays within the rules. He plays by the same set of rules that everybody else does, but he looks at them in a way and says, what can I do? Where's the gray area that I can then take these rules and use it to my further advantage? You went from a coach who definitely texts in all caps at all times in Brady Hoke. We know that from the John Curry thing that came out with Tennessee to getting another coach who definitely texts in all caps at all times. I assume Jim Harbaugh is an all caps texter at, at every possible turn. Is that is that true or false? You actually know. No, he's not. And he can be. And I see why you would say that. But I think, you know, Jim is a very unique mind right i think that that goes without saying it right jim is a unique person but in a way like he's almost an artist i mean he's he's shared with us letters he's he he would write letters to our team um at some point he even wrote something like a poem he loves music um and the edmund fitzgerald song is like his favorite song so um you know I would, t- I'll text Jim these days and you get a, it is not a, you, um, cliche response. It is a thoughtful, drawn out, long message addressing everything you said. And there's no all caps. It is just, it's, it, you can tell it's from the heart. And, uh, that's something I appreciate about him a lot. You see the intensity on the sidelines, but, um, he's a real person too. And, and a coach that I admire greatly. Did any of that ever get old? Those first two years, because it was a lot. I mean, it went from, and I remember, you know, being our first writer at Saturday Tradition and writing just about everything Michigan did. It was newsworthy. And it was kind of like, man, you know, in many ways, it's great that he's taken up the spotlight. And you being one of those guys who became a household name in your career, did it ever get to that point, though, where you're just like, God, it'd be kind of nice if we just didn't get dissected at every single turn? Or was it like, you know what? I signed up to go to Michigan. This is kind of part of the deal. Oh, it's a hundred percent the latter, and and it it was even amplified more from the fact that yes, when I committed to Michigan, and I grew up in Columbus, like I grew up a Buckeye fan, so Ohio State didn't offer me. I wanted to be a part of that national spotlight, and that's you know, in in Michigan when I committed was coming off an eleven and two season, a Sugar Bowl victory, they had beat Ohio State. I was like, okay, this is the Michigan I grew up watching, so I committed for that, and then my first two years. We were the laughing stock because every year we were rated highly. Every year we had these expectations, and every year we fell significantly short, especially on the offensive side, really mainly on the offensive side of the football. Our unit did not get it done. So when you have this perspective of what you think it should be, and then you get to reality, and it's so far from that, then Jim Harbaugh comes in and he delivers everything that you thought it would be. Of, of course, it can be stressful and it comes with the territory. But for us, we were so tired of losing, so tired of being the laughing stock. Sure, we'll take it all as long as we're winning. And when you do win, that also it, 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 it's a kind of a circular relationship. It comes with a territory. History loses 
like loses it a little bit with that 2015 season and and really how surprising it was that you guys got that good that quickly I think and how improved you were because the losses were really well documented the trouble with the snap the Ohio State thing even the the opener against Utah people kind of forget about as well but then you guys just go out and just blow Florida out I mean that game was a, a route a total route what did you think of the SEC after that game was it kind of like huh this is uh this is what everybody's been talking about yeah, and the funny thing is, is we were down in Florida. We were in their their territory. It was like a hundred degrees, like a hundred percent humidity. They were a great team. They had some studs. I mean, they had some ball, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, they had they were a really good team. And we kind of we walked them, man. I mean, we we were able to do whatever we wanted offensively. We were able to run the ball at will. I mean, Ju Chesson, I think, had a huge game, um, and that was a great great stamp to end the season for us um of course you hear there's there's the ohio state michigan rivalry then there's the big 10 sec rivalry i kind of see it for what it is listen listen the big 10's got their great teams and then we have some teams in the middle and we have some teams that you know occasionally can come up but are kind of haven't performed at that level and it's the same in the sec look georgia and bama You've run college football, and they have the right to say that that SEC, you run college football because you guys have dominated the national championship conversation. But I think there's a there's still a lot of that middle and bottom pack of the SEC that likes to associate with the success of Georgia, Georgia and Bama. And for us, listen, we went down to Florida, we played Florida. You got to, we have to see it to believe it. When it's toe to toe like that, we beat you, so we get the bragging rights for the year. But then Michigan, they lose to Alabama. They lost to Georgia in the semifinals, right? It kind of ebbs and flows. I mean, that was like the sixth best, best team in the SEC that year. If we're being 100% honest, Florida was – I mean, I, I get it. They won the East. Great year one with Jim McElwain, but I was like thinking about it earlier today. I was like, how many teams in the West were better than Florida that year? And to your credit, I mean, you did what you're supposed to do against a team like yeah. that who obviously was struggling and didn't know what the forward pass was. Uh, a year later <laughs> – Different, different, a little bit of a different story in the bowl game, obviously. And this is something that you've talked about a lot. So I, I got to ask about this, but the Florida State thing, um, something a lot of people probably remember what a lot of people associate with the beginning of the opt-outs. And it, you take that for what it is, even though McCaffrey and Leonard Fournette were already doing it that year. Um, you win the Mackey Award that year and you're coming back into that bowl game, you know, feeling like, okay, you know, should be a, a top, you know, one of the first tight ends off the board in the NFL draft. And obviously you tear your ACL in that game. And a lot has been said and written about opt-outs since then, the money that you lost with, you know, that injury itself, the insurance policy, all that crap, like clear the air. What, what exactly went down with that in, in kind of what's been maybe misreported or misrepresented about your situation? Yeah. So, um, I I remember so I had torn that AC the ACL I tore in the bowl game I had torn it previously my um, sophomore year going into my sophomore season so I could have left after my junior year I was talking to some agents and they advised me because of the injury they're like hey man you're healthy you just came off a great season you know it was kind of a weaker tight end class and I knew my senior year would have been a deep one which it was so everyone advised me to leave I decided to come back and then you get to the bowl game and Jalen Smith had got injured the year before. That was the first domino. Then Leonard Fournette and Christian McCaffrey start sitting out. I got sick as a dog that week, man. Like I had a 103 degree fever. I was in the hospital, didn't practice when we were down prepping for that bowl game because I was so sick. And I remember guys asking me, like, hey, man, are you going to play? And I'm like, 100% I'm going to play, man. Like this was the one, this is why I came to Michigan. This, you know, we hadn't beat Ohio State. That was frustrating. This was a New Year's Six Bowl against a really good Florida State 
team. I was voted captain by my teammates. There was no doubt in my mind I was going to play, and I knew the risk too. And I had taken out insurance before the season as well. So um, I was covered. That being said, it's a different reality when I catch that pass and I, I hear the pop in my knee and that familiar feeling at that point where I – it's crazy what the mind – I knew I tore my ACL. Like I heard the pop. My leg was numb. I knew I tore my ACL. And I was sitting there in the locker room just like, damn, man. Of course the money is it, – You, ha, it's natural to sit there and be like, wow, that probably cost me three, four, I don't know, a couple million dollars at least. You know, it, it cost me. That That's the natural thought. But then the question is, it's my second ACL in the same knee. What, how does this play a factor into my career? Um, and I think people hear me say that and say, wow, well, you regret it. You wouldn't have done that. But everything I told you leading up to that, the principles that I, I live by in life are more important to me than the money, though the money does come into factor. I wouldn't change it, even if I knew it again. I love that team. I love my teammates. I, I don't take it lightly that it was a locker room elected captainship. I could never be elected a leader and not go out there and play to protect myself like that. That's above all else. So I, I would I would go back and play knowing the outcome once again. Then people say they take that part and they say, oh, well, all these guys that opt out are selfish. I just want to tell you, I want to paint the full picture and I want the guys that are currently playing to understand there's risks and there's rewards Ask yourself what matters to you and make the best decision for you. What what really frustrates me, though, is when guys come at when, when people you know on social media or media members, they attack players for opting out. It's always bothered me because coaches leave to, to protect their income as well. I mean, Brian Kelly leaves Notre Dame. Who at that point in time, Notre Dame still had a long chance at making into the the college football playoff, and he left and and sent him a Teamworks text message. Made a hundred million dollars. I can't knock the man. It's a great it's a great decision for his career. I think it's the right decision. I think his ceiling at LSU is higher than it was at Notre Dame. But if the coaches are going to do it, then the players can do it too. So that that's all I'm saying here is I, I like to see the full picture. As long as you're within that realm of reasonableness, you can't knock somebody from making their decision. How many times did somebody send you a Darren Ravel tweet after that? Oh, man. That's the that's the thing I remember most about the draft day was I knew I wasn't going to get drafted in the first round. I thought maybe I'd still go in the late third round. Once that didn't happen, I talked to my agent that night. It was Friday night. He's like, listen, man, you're the number one player on the board still. You'll go early in the fourth round. I'm like, of course, that makes sense. Well, I didn't go to the first pick in the fifth round. So I remember Twitter, there was like a live count from Darren Rovell on how much money I was going to make per pick. It wasn't even, it wasn't accurate, though. It wasn't far off, but it wasn't fully accurate. So that that's what I remember. What, what should have been a day completely different than what it was, was kind of stolen a little bit from, from the extracurriculars. If I were you, I would probably just go back to him or send him a message like, hey, man, like, how about you worry about your own bank account? Like, how about you not like literally track <laughs> this in the biggest moment of my life? I, I just thought like by the end of it, you're just like, what in the world are we doing here? Like, I, I would yeah. add my team, like send him a message saying, guy, let's let's take it easy on this. OK, everybody gets it. Nobody's nobody's learning anything at this point. I see it for what it is. I mean, Darren Rovell, like there's people that are interested in that stuff and he's doing his job. So, I mean, it is what it is, man. Like he's it is what it is it, it, it's it's not a big deal to me I, I enjoy some of his tweets and i enjoy the replies he gets as well it's kind of it is social media right after all 
what, what was the NFL part of it where like they and I was reading the Athletic uh, who wrote about this you know a couple of years ago where where like they don't cover four hundred one k if if you're hurt like going into that first season like what what was the mess with with all that and how that impacted you? Yeah, so that's a huge part of this too. Actually, that is a that is a massive part that people don't consider. So, wh- so when you get hurt outside of the NFL. You get instead of going on IR, if you, if you get injured within the NFL, you go on IR and the team is liable. They still have to pay you until you're healthy. If that coincides with the season, then you get a credited season, which means benefits, which means 401k match. It it goes towards your retirement and your pension. There's a huge incentive to getting to being protected by getting injured within the realm of the team. But if you're hurt outside of the realm, you go on something called NFI, which is non-football injury. So even though I got hurt playing football, and even though the Broncos drafted me knowing that, I got hurt outside of the NFL, which meant I was I was under the umbrella of NFI. So I didn't get any of those benefits. I didn't I played 4 years in the NFL. I only got 3 years, which put me right on the border of my pension. Um I didn't get a 401k match that the year. I didn't get a Madden check that year. I didn't have benefits that year. I had no protection as well. The Broncos were not liable to pay me. They don't have to pay you. So thankfully, wow. it was a gentleman's handshake. They they knew they were going to pay me because I was going to do do my job and, and recover. But I mean, that total cost of what that cost me, easily into the six figures. Probably, I mean, the Madden checks 15K. The 401K matches 30K. I mean, bench, pensions and benefits. I also made split salary. That was like 150 thousand dollar decrease in my salary so um that's another piece that people when you play in the bowl game you are assuming that risk as well and like listen no one wants to hear my no one it's not a sob story it's just the reality of guys need to factor that decision into the their decision uh whether or not to play um because it, it it's a significant amount of money well, yeah, I mean, and that's part of it too. And everybody could just look at it from that standpoint. But I think you look at it from the competitive standpoint of like, what would my career have looked like if that second ACL didn't happen? I know you had the third yeah. ACL, but like, if that doesn't happen, we're, we're probably not talking right now, are we? No, probably. I, I believe that. Probably not. I mean, I I had missed one game in my entire career and it was from my first ACL. And I recovered from that first ACL. I played a game six months and five days post-surgery. So to me, I was invincible. I was like, I never was injured. And the one major injury I had, I came back like it was nothing. So, um, and then of course the bowl game, it wasn't, it wasn't a structural thing. I got smoked in my knee, right. As my cleat planted, like there was nothing I could do about that. So of course that, that, that's my thought is, um, in, in every injury you have, the likelihood of getting re-injured goes up. So of course I sit there and think, Hey, I, I know when I was healthy, I mean, those, those, few months before I ter- tore my ACL the third time, I was playing damn good football, man. Like I was, I proved to myself, I knew I could play in this league. Um, so of course my, my mind did go there for a while. Now I'm on the other side. I'm, I'm kind of past it, but yeah, it certainly was a, a battle to be won internally. You're a psychopath for coming back a third time. I mean, you, you just are <laughs> like, uh, that is crazy to think about. And you know, you talk about playing your best ball right before it, but I, I think you are part of the reason why we as a society in sports are too numb to ACL rehab because you're just talking about like, yeah, six months after I tore it, I'm like playing in a game again. Are, are we too unaware of the, the mental and physical grind that goes into ACL rehab? No, I don't, I don't think, I don't think so. I don't think so. But I do think 
I think there's a paradox. And again, like I don't, I'm not, I don't say this to say people should feel bad for NFL players. Like, look, it's a dream to be there and you're getting paid a hell of a lot of money to rehab, right? Like no one, there's a lot harder jobs out there than that, but therein lies the paradox too, where man, my childhood dream was right there, like right there. But it was kind of like behind a plane of glass because my four years in the NFL, I'm injured every single year. So I'm, I'm, I could reach out and touch it, but it was never really real. And here I am feeling sorry for myself because of everything I just said. Why should I be ungrateful right now? Everything's good. Like I'm making checks, all, all that's good, but it wasn't about that. I wanted the opportunity to play and compete with the best and improve myself. It's the mental aspect of these injuries that is the significant part of this. The physical aspect's easy. You wouldn't be playing football if you couldn't handle that. But the mental aspect of continually having to pick yourself back up again. And I, I got cleared from my third ACL. Two days later, I retore my both my meniscus and I missed another year. And it was just, I, I literally at one point, Connor, I dropped to my knees and I looked up at the sky and I never done, I literally, it was like a movie. I was like, what is going on? Like I was doing everything right. I'm like, what is going on? This doesn't make sense how I feel I'm doing every single thing right, but I'm continually being injured. And I was never injured in my life before this. So um, that part of it, I think people need to re recognize and realize that athletes go, that we're real human beings. We still do have feelings. We still do have motions yet. Yes, we're lucky. But it's a real thing, man, to have your, you know, everything you've worked for in your life, you wonder if, is it over? And you have to deal with that every single day. The good news for you is that despite all that and, you know, having that, having the backup of knowing, hey, you're pretty good at this media thing and you've, you've been able to, to get some reps doing that so far in your brief time as a retired, as a retired football player, but one of the let's let's flip it to the other side now and you kind of looking at tight ends throughout college football and i know you primarily are, are focused on the big 10 but there are a lot of georgia fans hoping that brock bowers does not have any sort of knee issues coming up mm -hmm. in his career um I, I imagine you've had a chance to be able to watch him a fellow Mackey award winner uh like yourself what's kind of your takeaway from from watching him like what are you most impressed about when you when you watch brock bowers I think what I'm most impressed about is the fact that there's nothing that's not impressive about him. Yeah. You know, I mean, when, it's been a debate for so long about um, when can when can college players go pro and when think about like Leonard Fournette is one that comes to mind where it's like, hey, maybe he could have went pro after his freshman season. But it's like, ah, maybe. That dude in a position, most guys struggle to adapt in college, and then there's another adaptation in the pros. He walked into arguably the best conference in all of college football against some of the best talent and didn't just perform well. He stood out as a true freshman. And then the concern is for some guys, if you want to call it a concern, it's like, hey, can you get better the next year? Or maybe some guys regress a little bit. He got better. He got better. And then – You'd expect him to do it again this year. I mean, I, I listened to some podcasts by the Georgia players. He's got such respect from his teammates. Um, there isn't a route that he can't run. Like, he's extremely athletic. And I think sometimes you see guys that are really athletic, and that can hurt their fluidity in route running. Like, sometimes you're so fast, you don't have the patience to set up routes. He's fast because he can take a jet sweep like George Kittle down the sideline. But he's also got a, an understanding and fluidity to set up his routes, maybe not like Kelsey, but in the principle of, of, of a feel and understanding that I think makes tight ends great. And on top of that, 
he's more than a dependable blocker. So um, you can put him in the slot. You can flex him out one-on-one. He's been able to do that almost since he was a freshman, and he's continued to get better. He could have left for the NFL after his freshman year. I think he's probably even a better complete prospect than Kyle Pitts, though I think they're different players. I think Kyle Pitts is is a freak of freaks in, in terms of what he can do. Bowers is a much better blocker. Probably depends on the system, on on which guy you'd want. But, I mean, he's the most complete tight end prospect probably to ever enter the NFL draft next year. Is he going to be worth a top three pick, given the way that the NFL is utilizing tight ends now? You've seen that. I mean, it's an every down thing now. There's nothing he can't do on a football field. They haven't let him throw yet, but he can probably do that too. I mean, like, is he worthy of being the first tight end to ever come off the board in the top three? You know, this is, it's a great, it is a great, a great question. And I think the, the, it'll depend on the team. It depends on the team. What is your vision for your offense? Because I've seen great tight ends go to an offense that has no idea how to use them. And then you're just wasting a top three pick, right? You know, um, what what are your other team needs? Because I, as I played a tight end, I played tight end. I love the position. I don't think, you know, there's a handful of guys that can change the game at that position, but they're dependent on their quarterback. They're dependent on their offensive system and their play caller. Whereas if you get a disruptor off the edge, he can pin his ears back and single-handedly take over games and and wreck the opposing quarterbacks. Um, A quarterback obviously can change the game. So I think there's other positions that are self-sufficient in their ability to warrant the value of a top three pick. But I think it's it says enough about him to say I think every single team in that top five next year is going to take a serious look at him because he is that talented of a prospect. Speaking of Georgia, uh, which Michigan playoff loss hit you harder, Georgia or TCU? Probably, obviously, it was, I think it was TCU. I mean, Georgia, it's it, you, you can swallow that pill. They were that, they were just that good of a team. So, all right, well, yeah, that's the best team in college football, and it's not particularly close. The the one that hits you harder is the TCU game, and respect to them because they showed up. No one picked them in the country. I certainly didn't pick them. You know, they heard Michigan players talking and, and Michigan media members questioning, hey, how are you going to stop our rushing attack? They shut it down. They showed up and they made the adjustments necessary um, quicker than Michigan was able to. I think Michigan, if you play that game 10 times, Michigan wins at nine. Um, but that doesn't matter. You know, TCU is better that day. So I think that for those guys in the locker room, that, that one's going to sting. But I also think, in a sense, it's good. The, it says a lot about the leadership of the team in, in Ann Arbor this year and the way they've handled it and the way they've talked about that loss. Like, there's, whenever you face adversity, there's a fork in the road. Sometimes you fold, you know, sometimes it's like, man, we had it and then we lost it. I hear the complete opposite. Like, I think those guys are even more so motivated knowing we actually do belong in the playoffs. We did it two years in a row, we should have won last year. Next year, we're not letting it slip through our hands. So I think that they'll be better because of it. Okay, but the Georgia-Michigan National Championship, if that had happened last year, score prediction, unbiased score prediction from you. Look, man, I think I think Michigan would have matched up better. I know TCU beat them. I know TCU beat them. TCU deserved the right. I think Michigan would have matched up better. I don't think any anyone was beating Georgia last year. I think Georgia probably wins by double digits in in that instance. They were just that good. I also think Stetson Bennett 
doesn't get the credit he deserved as a quarterback. I, I, I didn't give him enough credit, but that dude just makes plays and he's a playmaker too. He does it with his feet. So it, it, it's not like he's the, he's the weak point. I think he was a stronger point of their offense. Like their defense was generational once again, but again, their offense has all the talent in the world. We talked about some of the guys that team was just like a freight train running right down the pipe of college football. And I just, no one really, no one could get out of their way. Stetson Bennett, a rich man's Jake Rudock. Some have said. That's, a, that's actually a pretty good comparison. You know, Jake Jake Rudock could run pretty well. Stetson is a, a very underrated runner, though, and he's he's really fluid. So I'm excited to see what he does with the Rams. I know the Rams, the rumor is they, they were trying to trade Matt Stafford. What maybe, can you read between the lines? Maybe they feel confident that he can operate that offense. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm looking too much into it, but I think he's a damn good quarterback. Give the offense one 35-year-old former Georgia quarterback to another 35-year-old former Georgia That's quarterback. Right. It makes perfect sense. Uh, this is right. great. I, I want to be able to get you out of here on some rapid fire. Just five questions. First thing that comes to mind. Does that work for you? Sure. All right. Uh, true or false, you became a clearly tough as hell football player because kids would make fun of your name just like, you know, dick butt kiss back in the day. True. That's where it all started for sure. Okay. That confirmed. Uh, what's football weather? Football weather is late November, early November, sub 60 degrees, twilight, low humidity. First half is played in the the sun setting light. The second half is with the lights on and it gets a little chilly. You can just see your breath. I don't like it too hot. Don't mind the cold, but don't like it too cold. Somewhere between 40 and 60 degrees. I have this very distinct memory of you guys doing snow angels against my alma mater, Indiana. And yeah. thinking to myself, like, is this football weather? Maybe it is. There's a case to be made for it. That is like peak snow football, though. You remember the, I mean, we, you guys almost beat us. That was our senior, senior night. So I may not have done this podcast with you had you guys ruined <laughs> uh, my senior night. But uh, remember, remember we were, it was the two, the four minute drill at the end of the game. And it was, we were in 20, you couldn't see the players on the field, yep. how heavy it was snowing. That was the only snow game I played in, in Ann Arbor in my entire career, though, which is kind of crazy. Well, and the crazy thing is, is like, I think in the playoff, the expanded playoff, we're going to get snow games. I, Can't I think wait. A, that's going to be, that's going to be a sight. Like even for Southern football fans, like you don't have to go and stand out there, but just watching snow football, I think there's something to be yeah. said for it. Yeah. Um, okay. Why do Michigan fans always need to be wearing at least two pieces of gear at all times? Because there's so much pride in that university. We call ourselves the leaders in the best. Ugh. And you just made yeah. everybody dry heave listening to that. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Um, I just, like I mentioned, I traveled in the airport because when we pass by each other in the airport, there's a sense of pride. Hey, go blue, go blue. Did you go to school? You know, so we, we like to communicate with each other, especially now that Michigan's actually winning and winning at the level we, we, to back up the leaders in the best, we like to communicate it to each other and into the world. I'm on this hike in the Grand Canyon. There's this couple wearing like, no joke, six pieces of Michigan gear a piece. I'm like, you got to do the socks too. I didn't, like, you needed the socks to be able to complete the outfit here. We're, we're in Arizona. What, we're, it's June, that might, all right? That might be on the other end. That might be a little too much. <laughs> uh, okay, what would you rather do this weekend? Fly United or wear an Ohio State shirt? Fly United. Fly United for sure. Okay, yeah. Benefit of the doubt. That's an easy one. Okay, uh, last one. This is harder. Uh, Michigan will win a national title in the year what? I think this year is as good as a chance as they got, man. I think this year is as good of, good of a chance as they got. They returned significant talent on both sides of the ball. Key thing, they returned both their offensive coordinators. 
The quarterback position is super solid. When have we went into a season at Michigan? When was the last time we went into a season? Like, man, we know that they have a guy under center in J.J. McCarthy. I think their second unit offensive line would start at 75% of the schools in the country. So they got depth in what they want to do. And Georgia's still a great football team. There's still some great football teams, but who they, Georgia has some questions to answer as well. It's going to be harder for them to get back to it. They have more questions than Michigan, I would say. So um, I think in Ann Arbor, they're looking at this like this is their opportunity to make a serious run at it. All right. Heard it here first. Jake, uh, really appreciate the time, man. Best of luck with everything Thanks, this man. year. Thank you. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get. Figuring out, we're talking haircut horror stories. I did not have a haircut horror story this past weekend, as you can tell. Mm-hmm. Fades look, looking right. Fades looking, looking good. Looking, we're looking fresh. My one time a year beard trim that we do. I, she left a little bit too much in the goatee, but you know what? It, it is what it is. If you guys can't see at home, Connor has a Brian Bosworth mohawk with his initial shaving <laughs> on the side. It's awesome. What if I just showed up one pod and just did not say a thing and just pretended like it was a casual conversation as a father of one to do that? <laughs> just yeah, no other Wow, that's a good card to drop. That's like the the yeah. the uh, the you know Richard Nixon administration. It's like, hey, I'll, I'm gonna tell you something. As a father of one, all right. Yep. Yep. Uh, but thankfully, went into went in to get my haircut late last week and. They were slammed. I didn't know what time I was going to be able to go. I'm usually bad about planning when to get a haircut. I know that might sound a little bit surprising because I'm a planner and pretty much everything else. But especially now with a newborn, it's kind of, I'm going to go when I have a window and I Mm -hmm. know she's sleeping. I want to knock out all my work. I want to make sure that I get that done before I get a haircut. So I go on Friday at like two o'clock. It's slammed. I mean, really slammed. Summer Friday, got to get the fresh cut. Just how it is. And I get someone that I have, it's, it's one thing to get someone at barbershop, wherever you go to get your haircut. It's one thing to get someone that you've never had before. When you don't have an appointment, you're a walk-in. You kind of expect that sometimes. You're like, okay, little, little new blood. It's another thing to get someone that you have never even seen there before. Mm. That's what makes you worried. And you go into, and look, I try not to judge. I don't want to judge based on, based on age. I don't want to judge based on how a person does their own hair as opposed to whether or not they're going to be good. Sometimes I'm like, I don't know what you got going on, but I like coming back to you. This person, very nice woman, very nice woman, probably like, I don't know, like late fifties, early sixties. Okay. Whatever. All right. You're a little bit kind of like, maybe, maybe this will go well. Maybe this won't. Usually the stylists I have are kind of like right around my age. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm not going to overthink it too much. She starts off with a lot of questions, like a lot of questions, Will. And when okay. someone is asking you a lot of questions when you're getting your haircut, your natural thought is, have you done this before? Because I can't confirm with my own two eyes that you mm-hmm. have done this before. I understand you've got your own spot set up, but I've never seen you here before. Mm-hmm. I've been coming here for two years. I think I know this place pretty well. And the more I talk to her, I try and loosen up. I loosen up. After a few of those very basic questions about what I was looking to have done, a very standard, I think, 
guy haircut. I don't know how to say that. She settles in and she's great. No okay. issues whatsoever. None. But the one time that I did have a major issue at this place, it was that exact situation. It was the person that I had never seen there before. And mm-hmm. I walked in, Will, and within five minutes of sitting down, she had cut me on my neck like three times. Oh, man. And I'm like, this is not going to work. I'm like, calling the lefty. We're... <laughs> We're, we're, they, just start we're, pointing towards his imaginary bullpen. Like, no, get out of here. The starting pitcher does not have it today. And I'm trying to say this in the kindest way possible. But in that moment, you're just like, I'm going to walk out here looking like I just got Edward Scissorhand in the worst Okay, way. so there's no shot that you, like, pulled the plug in reality. Like, you no, grinned. I did. I did. You did? I pulled the plug. I pulled the plug. I said, this, you know, no. After the third time they cut you, Three strikes and you're out. You got every you right. Great out, because then it's like, okay, I feel physical pain right now, dog. Like, I'm not going to speak on the quality of your work, but like, because but if they're just messing up your hair, would you stop or would you just would you just bear it? I would bear it. <laughs> I would. I was going to say cutting your neck is a godsend at that point, because then you have a reason to be like, ah, it's not you. It's that my neck actually feels pain. So, but I've had two. I've had probably two stylists at two different places that I've mm-hmm. gone to in my life, who did not know how to blend hair, and I'm like. If you're if you're a stylist, one out of two people that's coming in is probably going to ask for some sort of a blended haircut. That is just reality. And the second person, the one who cut me like three different times, she said something to the effect of like, ah, next time you come in here, just ask somebody else to do this. I'm like, we're not even at the part where you're blending yet. You can't even shave my head without cutting me. And it wasn't like, oh, our clippers were too sharp. She was like asking me questions about like what blending was or like what. And, and there wasn't like a... I, there wasn't like some language barrier, but I called in the reliever at that point. I was like, mm-hmm. I, if I don't this, and I feel bad because she might've lost her job after that. It I mean, that's the thing is like when you're at a point in your life, kind of that we're at, it's like, Hey, if you want to, you know, this isn't, you know, double a, you know, you practice on some kids or, you know, some mannequins or whatever, like sure. those kids are not going to be on Paul Feinbaum. Like I'm not being mean, but it's like, once you get to this point in your career and you're on television, like you can't have a bad haircut. So like, it's not elite. It's just like, Dude, like I'm not the person to practice on, bro. Like I gotta be places. Look, I'm holding. I'm gonna hold myself to that standard. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna be rude about it. I'm gonna right. try and be respectful. I'm gonna try and not let those preconceived notions that I have fluttering around in my brain get the best of me. Although they do sometimes, mm-hmm. and I'm going to sit down and and let you have the benefit of the doubt until you clearly show me that you cannot salvage this. And it's happened a couple of times. Have you ever had to walk back in to the same place after getting your haircut and having someone else fix it when another person messed it up and that other person is still there? Um, no, my barber situation I'm learning is very different from yours. Okay. All right. Your barber situation is probably smarter because you probably go to the same person every time and that's what yeah. I should be doing. Yeah. Um, so quick, I mean, I could talk for 30 minutes about this guy, but I won't. So my barbering history really quick. I, we've never talked about my bar. Okay. So I've had one barber for like 10 years. It's different. It's been three different guys though. Okay. So it's like, but I will have one barber. I will literally, it's like a franchise quarterback. Like you can't have two barbers. I will not go to anybody but this guy. Okay. First it was actually carrot tops brother. Super cool guy. That was in Orlando. He is, does a great job. I might recommend you to him. He does. He does an amazing job. Um, but he was super cool. I just ended up like, um, what ended up happening is one of my classmates was in the army and he was like the haircut guy there. And I changed my hairstyle 
from a longer hairstyle to like more of like the fade that you got. And I was like, oh, this guy was an army. He's better at like that type of blending or whatever. And so uh, went with him. He was okay. Then I moved to Atlanta and met my current barber. Uh, so my current barber, quick scouting report on him. Uh, probably the most swole person I interact with on a regular basis. Uh, I feel played- like you interact with a lot of swole people though. Yes, uh, but KJ is, he played running back for Middle Tennessee State in the early 2000s. Swole, he yep. wears a Superman bib, huge, like, tatted up dude. Uh, his name's like Khalil Muhammad or something. And he's the, imagine if you mix, like, Herschel Walker and Malcolm X. He is the most intense person I've ever met in my entire life. And, brother, does he have some takes on everything like you walk in there and he's always like i want a barbershop environment when i go to a barbershop i want people arguing about stuff i want like chaos in there i want to sit down and laugh and like have a good time that this dude and this guy would drive you insane because he's never on time a haircut takes me like an hour but you know what i'm saying i go in there and i know it's going to take me that long so he has free beer i sit back i've seen and he has like these famous clients because Atlanta, and so i'll just be sitting there and i'm like Oh, that's Bobby Valentino. Okay. <laughs> that's the guy that did like the wee wee on the Wayne song. Anyway. Oh, so yeah. it's like, I know, I know Bobby Valentino. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There you go. So like, I'm just like hanging out, like, in it, like, you know, this guy's and every time I talk to him, he's got some new, like cool finesse. I remember, I'll never forget one time I walked in there and he was just like, do you know anything about the Iraqi dinar? And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, it's a currency in Iraq. And I'm going to tell you something. Will, do you believe in forever wars? And I'm like, uh, not necessarily. He's like, so you do think we're going to get out of Iraq eventually. Mind you, this guy is the most country bumpkin, like black dude, but has like this very country voice. And so he's Carl Malone. Like, oh, I wouldn't call anybody that, but, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, that's why I said, Herschel, you know, it's a little bit better because he has some wild takes. And so he's just like, Oh, um, he's like, so you don't think we'll be in Iraq forever. And I'm like, no. And he's like, so when we leave, do you think their currency is going to go up or down? I'm like, I don't know. He's like, up it's got nowhere to go but up i just bought five thousand dollars worth of iraqi dinar and i'm like uh okay and your experience is very different very very different yeah every time i go in there dog he has like some new thing he's doing he has like a pilot's license he's in there reading the quran he's like every time i see him he's like a different like it's he's the same dude but he's he's like a dude who wakes up at 5 a.m every morning races a train gets like a thousand push-ups in, goes sure. to work for like 12 hours. And so like, he's always cooking something up. And so I love to check in with him and see like, you know, what's your love life like? What's your extra, you know, cause he, he sets his own hours. So like his phone will be ringing off the hook while I'm in there. And he's just like, ah, I'm busy, whatever. I'm not taking any new appointments. And he's just, you know, he's, he's really good at what he does. So he just books people when he wants to, takes days off. But yeah, it's, it's a very interesting thing, but I've gone to him since I moved here every single time for five years. So no horror story is what you're saying. Not from him. No, not actually. Okay. I haven't had, that's the thing. I haven't had a horror story since I went to like a great clips when I was like in high school, you know? Yeah. I went to a great clips for too much of my adult life. Not to totally hate on great clips, but you hit that point and you realize, yeah. all right, we're ready. We're ready for the next best thing. That, that haircut horror story. I had one time where like a stylist, just could not blend my hair and had to bring in somebody to like, she's like, his hair is just impossible to blend. I'm like, I promise you it's not. 
it's it's, it's, it's just not. the most standard. One thing about you, Cotter, is you're not a lot of frill. Uh, it's not like you're half Brazilian, you know, half Italian. You have like a very standard American cut of hair. So if someone's like, I've never seen hair like this. It's like, how good of a barber are you, dog? I know. I'm like, yeah, I, I got three. <laughs> I got three different colors of hair. I, I understand that. We got the brown. We got a little blonde. We got we got the red. Mostly in the beard. Will I'm not I'm not full red. I'm not a red. I didn't head. say a thing. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. All right. Saturday Down South podcast, uh, Facebook group. We've got some great responses here. Let's start with this one. Uh, David Montcahouse. Montcahouse? Montcahouse. David says, basic training when you stand in line hearing barbers yell, next man. Uh, While you see shock new soldiers walked out with bald red trimmer shaped streaks running in all directions across their heads. David described what... I think would be a wild experience just being in basic training and realizing I have no choice in this. Yep. No choice in my, in, that in itself and losing your hair, even if nothing is wrong with it, but being told you can't have hair, I would want to have hair so badly. I don't know how all like everybody who doesn't serve and it has like some sort of haircut requirement doesn't just want to grow their hair out as long as humanly possible. I mean, yeah. I mean, my sample size is Peyton and Emery. I feel like both of those guys yeah. have like good point. Yep. So I feel like a lot of people do that. Uh, Kobe Black says, "Worst for me was when I went in for a trim one day, and I guess I had a little fuzz on the outer rim of my ears. My heart fell when the bar- when the barber used her clippers to clean them up. Twenty years later, I am still cleaning them up every week." Okay, so <laughs> wait a minute. The, you know there are like special tools that will get in there and they'll they'll clean it up. They'll they'll do what you need to be done. Um, that so I think he is saying there was permanent damage done to his ears. So is that's that the thing saying? about once you cut hair, it comes back like thicker. You know what I'm saying? And so it's like once it got cut the first time, now it's oh. not its natural state. Now it's going to like start like you had to thing that you now have to maintain, you know? So if I had just never trimmed my eyebrows at any point in my life, they wouldn't grow back so unbelievably thick. And they're lighter, which is fine, but they do get so like like the hairs are just like really long. I got to maintain. That's one of the things I'll get at the end of a haircut is they'll like trim your eyebrows. Are you a trim your eyebrows guy at, mm-hmm. at the barber? Okay. I look like a Sasquatch in the eyebrows, bro. I got like a little monobrow thing going on. Look at my eyebrows. I'm not trimming these. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. You're not supposed um, to agree. Oh my gosh. Next question. <laughs> no, I was agreeing with your rationale for not getting them done. I'm just not messing agreeing. with you. You don't have to. Do your thing. Drew Page says, when I was living in Georgia, I hadn't gotten a haircut in maybe four to five months and really needed one. Went to a Great Clips. Oh, boy. Had never had one bad experience ever. And they cut my hair so badly. It didn't lay well. It didn't look good. I literally almost cried. I ended up going to another Great Clips and told them what happened. And the woman did one for free and made it look so much better, thankfully. Um, Yeah, that's the thing is that Here's, here's how you play this when you go back in. If you do get that bad haircut and you go back and maybe you go back the next day. And like I say, you have to walk past that same person who gave you that haircut. The other stylist wants to know who gave you that haircut. They want to know. And all you got to do is tell them. You're like, oh, this one, this is on me to clean this up. We're, we want to make this right. They want to know because they want to feel better. 
and mm-hmm. they want to feel like they are cleaning up someone else's mistake. And even if it's their best friend in the world at the stylist, they want to feel like they are better at their job than that other person. So it's a gas them up a little bit, gas them up a little bit, but you also, you gotta, you gotta kind of tread lightly a little bit. I felt so awkward doing that. Will I, I hated it. I was like, she's sitting right over there. She's the one who did it. She's really nice. And it was really, it was good conversation, but I got home and realized she did this so unbelievably wrong. It was bad, but we got it taken care of. I just, again, want to reiterate what we said earlier is that I, I'm sorry. If you go to great clips, you're going to get what you pay for. And I like KJ has a great clips package It is literally called a great clips package. If you walk in his barbershop and you have just been the great clips, he's like, I'm going to charge you an obscene amount of money because you shouldn't have done that because you're an adult and I'm going to give you the best haircut of your life and I'm going to fix it, yep. but it's a special kind of haircut that's like a reverse haircut. And so, yeah, it's like you just got to you gotta get you a KJ. You got to get you a dude you trust, get you, you know, your Max Scherzer that you can lean on and you got to throw in some bullpen arms. Fine. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Find that person that you trust. That's, that's so mm-hmm. key. Zachary Warden says, I had long hair back in 2017 and I was ready to go all in on a mullet. The lady at the Supercuts we know where this is going, was under the impression I was joking, I guess, because she cut the back way too short. By the time I had a chance to see what was going on, she had already done me dirty. I asked her to give me a buzz cut since she butchered the mullet. She was about to charge me for two haircuts at the front before another woman who worked there chewed her out. I just don't understand why she would take that uh, liberty to say, nah, no mullet for you and be upset with me over it. Now they are in fashion and I won't get one. Life is hard and I may never recover. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna push back on the mullets are in fashion now just because people are doing something doesn't mean it's in fashion um the charging for two haircuts is a an insane move insane move that would make me more upset than the the shaving of the mullet i think mm-hmm. i mean like what a minute no this is this is a very standard thing that i asked for also to jump to conclusions when anybody says anything to you anything and that's all they say for you to go in a different direction is like this 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 just might not be the profession for you if someone says to you i would like to get a checkerboard shaved into the top of my head can you do that yeah sure why not if that's all that person says you shave their head into a checkerboard that's how it works. This isn't multiple choice. This isn't, oh, you know, I don't really think that'd be a good look for you. Bro asked for a mullet. You give that man a mullet. He grew that yeah. hair out and did all that work. That takes a long time to grow out hair long enough to feel like you want to put it in a mullet. I can't get to that point. That takes some effort to be able to do that. As much as I don't, I don't, I don't fancy myself a mullet man, I can understand the frustration of seeing that hair, that hardworking hair, Shaved off your head because a stylist was just like, meh, you were probably kidding. Can't yeah, I mean, yeah, it's one that's like a specific kind of person, too, that just doubles down and is like, no, no, like you're actually the jerk here for like, it's like, oh, what? Like, I mean, and he can kind of like, you know, tell some jokes and stuff, but a mullet is not something you just decide to do one day, usually. Like, you, you really have to think about it. And I'm sure they had to your point about conversations, like, you know, you're having conversations with this person. So it's not just like, I would like a mullet. 
thanks. Sit down. It's like, I would like a mullet. Oh, you know, I'm like a little bit of a country Western fan. I see Zach Bryan. He's kind of got his mullet. I think it's cool. Da, 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 da. So the odds of that being a joke beyond like a one sentence are very low because you have to really commit to the bit of a mullet. So to do that, and then like, again, we don't assume anyone's ever going to take responsibility for their own actions on this, in this life, I've learned. But to then double down and be like, no, you're the jerk. I'm going to charge you twice. Like, get out of here. Oh, I'm going to give God. myself a buzz cut, dog, if I oh. wanted that. That is the default. That is the default. Um, okay, so let's end. Let's end with, with, with. Well, let's end with two here. Jonathan Mason. Mm-hmm. Speaking of buzz cuts, Jonathan says my older brother and sister talked me into shaving my head for football camp in middle school. Not the worst idea, right? However, had we asked my parents, they would have had me wait a couple of days until after our church directory family pictures were scheduled. <laughs> my white scalp with my summer tan definitely stood out and it still gets brought up about the time that I looked like a cancer patient in our church picture. Yeah, that's just, you messed that one up. How low, see like sh- when you say shave your head, I used to, it, does that, do you mean anything that involves clippers? Or are we talking like to the scalp? I mean, he said cancer patient, so that yeah. sounds like really low. Yeah, because I, I used to get the one, like the mm-hmm. one everywhere. And I guess I would say, yeah, like I used to shave my head. But I think what he's describing is even is like the true, like the zero. Like we're going that like you if yeah. if you're doing that, you've got to think about all all the angles here. Like we got any weird tan lines. We got anything going on here. I would almost go like down to a two and then down to a one. Just to like take some because that 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 shock factor, I I don't I don't think you can prepare yourself for that, especially when you're going to be taking pictures. So once you get to that point, once the head is shaved, I mean, you almost gotta wear like a cowboy hat or something, right? Like you gotta just be like, look, I'm a fun, crazy guy. I got like this clown hair yeah. on because like I would rather just wear it and be like, all right, you know what? I got a funny hat. I'm a funny hat guy. Then yeah. like I unintentionally cut all my hair off and now I look like a pool cue. Oh, can't have that. Nope. Yeah. Nope. No. Let's end with this one from Michael Dark. Michael says, my dad does hair for a living. So growing up, he always cut my hair. When I was in second grade, he decided to he decided the day before my picture day to give me a perm to say that I looked like a heavier store brand version of Justin Timberlake from his early InSync days would be an understatement. Second grader with a perm is an aggressive move. I don't care, man, woman, or child. I guess just child in this case second i i don't think i i have not knowingly seen a second grader with a perm that to me is wild wild that your that your dad would have the confidence to pull the trigger and say you know what you know what my second grader could really use is a perm mm-hmm. I, I don't think that is you got to stay out of the water after that you got a second grader not taking a <sighs> bath not taking a shower that seems like too I, much responsibility a, everyone what hand I mean, like, what if they just fall in mud? You're going to ruin your perm that way. I don't know. I, Michael, I think that's on your dad. I think your dad's got to be better in that moment to not give you a perm. I don't think that's on you. That's a rough call. I just All I right. just commented on that. Post the pics, please. I need to see that. Yes. That sounds. Also, you know, to you as well, Jonathan Mason, please, if you have those pictures, we would love to see them. Yes, definitely. Absolutely would. Um, let's do some lad of the week. I was just going to say seeing everybody at SEC media days because it's been great and I like seeing people and it's fun to see my friends and they're all lads oh and lasses gosh. of the week. Yeah, sorry, that's lame. 
Um, no, it's all good. I mean, you know, it's, it's getting back in the swing of things, right? It's, it's the best season of the year because all your hopes and dreams are possible at that point. Vandy can go, you know, they can win the East as they did last year. If and I they will. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's anything. Yeah. I just want to say I do have one specific lad of the week. This is a very classic lad of the week. This is NFL linebacker Blake Martinez. You guys remember him. He played for the Packers. He has made $11.5 million in revenue from his post-NFL Pokemon card business. Oh, I saw this. Yes, yes, yes. This is crazy. Yes. And, I mean, if you <laughs> – he has 20 full-time employees. He – he uh, let's see. Got, for one Pikachu card, he got $672,000. Uh, so this guy is living the dream. I mean, at, at five years old to eight years old, if you had told him, you know, Blake Martinez, here's what you're going to do, man. You're going to go play college football. You're going to go play NFL football. You're going to become a millionaire. Then you're going to retire and start a Pokemon card business. He would have been like, yes. Sign me up. This is all of my passions. No further questions. So just an absolute lad. You know, if you have a hobby or something like that that you love, don't let anyone tell you no, because you could end up like Blake Martinez, who is just stacking money selling Pikachu cards. Is that story? Is that a Zach Kiefer athletic story? Uh, Which, the one that I saw was Bleacher Report, and that was the one oh, with the 11.5 so no. million in the headline. I don't, it might be aggregated. I don't know. Might be aggregated from Bleacher Report. Imagine that. Uh, right, definitely yeah. aggregated from Bleacher Report. Uh, yeah, that's one of those things that like Zach is tremendously good at what he yep, does. That's, it's where, in the story. I could have just read the story. You know, where <laughs> I would love to know, and I'm I'm thinking of the media side of this of like, how does that even get brought up? How does that get brought up at any given point? Like, because it's I maybe maybe. Maybe he was posting this about this or something, but I don't even know how you find out that somebody is really into doing this unless those paths cross at some point. Like it's very so like that's why I want to bring up Zach of like being able to to dig this up and, and figure that out. That's that's like the type of thing that somebody who would retire from the NFL and then and want to talk about, oh yeah, like I, I did this and now I'm like crushing it with Pokemon cards. Just like a very random thing to to bring up usually probably wouldn't bring that up with your family if you were doing that at least not for a little while but i guess if you're killing it you're good so yeah that's the thing is like when you already have the success the risk is just so much lower because it's like all right i'm already like a ball like if i burn even five million dollars on pokemon cards it's whatever but if you hit buddy like there are so many guys that have like post you know career little boom so it's cool to watch guys express themselves you know very true love to see it love to see it all right, we're going to record on Wednesday night. We'll have some updates from, obviously, Kirby and Saban, everything else that happens at Media Days. Um, but, yeah, a lot of stuff left this week. I always tell people, just bookmark SaturdayDownSouth.com, and when you're bored at work this week, just read our coverage because we have a ton of great coverage all week. Lots and lots of stuff from SEC Media Days. If you miss something, I promise you can find it on SaturdayDownSouth.com. So yes, subscribe to this podcast if you have not already. And give us a five-star review. We love a five-star review. Follow us on Twitter at the SCS Pod, at CJ Guerra, at Go So Hard. Join the Facebook group. Your name right on air with figuring out a golden brush. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.